0: All right. Great to see you. Happy New Year. Go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 19 right in the middle. Uh, Next week, we're going to kind of begin the journey in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Verse 1, but Psalm 19 is where we're going to be today. Uh, Let me start off by saying hello to the other campuses at uh, Hendersonville and obviously uh, at Arden and Franklin and uh, at East. Thank you guys for your flexibility. Thanks for loving your neighbor by wearing your mask and social distancing and temperature checks and all that stuff. I think we're all going to be pretty happy maybe around whenever it is, at some point when it is safe, we are going to have a mask burning out on the front yard. I mean, just anybody with me? All right, we're going to have that and burn those suckers. But for right now, all right, thanks for loving your uh, loving your neighbor, and also want to uh, give a shout out to uh, our West Asheville campus and Brevard. Um, we are going to, uh, you'll see in February, uh, West Asheville at the front end of February, and Brevard will begin to regather in the back end of February. So if you are uh, in those areas, if you would please let us know if you're in that Transylvania County area, uh, just anyway, let us know. We'll be trying to get some information to you uh, along those lines about how you can be a part of that volunteer base. One of the reasons we're multi-site is we ask you to kind of stay where you are, serve where you live and be the church in your community. And so thanks for buying into that years ago and we've seen God bless. So here's where we are. I want to invite you to go on a journey uh, with me, with a bunch of other folks that we're calling the year of the Bible. All right. The year of the Bible, and it is a journey. It's an invitation for you to come along, and the reason it's, uh, we're trying to do so much to try to make it put things in your hand is the Bible, I mean, I know preachers don't like to say this, the Bible can be, it can be difficult, and it can be intimidating. Uh, A lot of you have tried a New Year's resolution before and you're like, man, I'm gonna read through the Bible and you get to Leviticus or maybe you get to some of those hard names like, you know, Mephibosheth and all then something, you know, somebody begat somebody else and somebody else begat somebody else and it's like, dude, I'm out and you just kind of fizzle. And uh, whether it's too hard or too complicated or I'm too busy, oftentimes when you look at at, uh, 66 books with numerous authors written over, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, we sort of sometimes look at this book sort of like those, like that terms and condition page that you see on a web page. It's like all of that legal mumbo jumbo, super difficult concepts. You're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, just where do I push the button? Accept. I accept it all, and I figure somebody will tell me uh, if something is in there that I need to know. And so, what we want to do this year is we want to see that all the commands, all the personalities, all the stories that are in this book are really telling one big story. All right. All the personalities really are pointing toward one personality. And I'm not exaggerating. Some of you, we've been together a long time. I am not exaggerating when I say this year, this journey can revolutionize your life. It is absolutely could be the best thing for your marriage. It can be the best thing for your esteem and how you see yourself. It can be the best thing for you to figure out, okay, uh, what's my purpose? When you see the way God writes your story underneath his story, that can be the best way where all of that stuff begins to come together. And so what we've done is we've tried to put a ton of resources to make it as easy because we're all in different places on the spiritual journey. And so the place that you're gonna hear over and over and over again is this right here, biltmorechurch.com Bible, all right? And what we've put there is, and it'll be built out through the year, you'll add certain things on there, but I wanna point out a couple things that are on there for you, all right? The first one is this, there's three different uh, reading plans, all right? Three, you're like, why three? Because we, different levels. The first one is just called the 52 Week. And it's really based on this little book right here called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I cannot commend this to you strong enough. Now, ideally, it is for parents or grandparents to walk through with a little scooter, but I will be honest with you, if I could put this in the hand of new believers or even old believers for just to spend a weekend, it helps to show you the big picture of Scripture. Instead of getting all down in the weeds and, and getting lost, this gives you a great picture of it. And the way they've got it broken down, not 100%, but about 70% is actually going to be coinciding with the text that we're going to look at on Sundays, all right? So again, we always preach the Bible here, but this year it's the idea of starting in Genesis 1-1, and here in about 50 weeks we'll end up in in Revelation, uh, at the end of Revelation, Revelation 21-22, that's where we'll end up. But this thing, I cannot commend this high enough to you. I know hundreds and hundreds of y'all got this during Advent that have kids. Uh, we've ordered a bunch more, I don't know how many more uh, and while, so you can always pay for it, or you can go on to that website, click the Jesus Storybook Bible, and you can get an email that uh, uh, we can get you one for free, all right, for free while supplies last. Um, there's the 260 version, there's the 365. Bottom line is, uh, what we want to do is put into your hand, it's text-based, so you can actually just text the word Bible to 28282, you'll get a text. Uh, I think it's on Mondays. and It's like, here it is. And so you can get most of the Bible in the 260 plan, 365. You can get every verse of every book of every chapter, all of those. And you can read the whole Bible, by the way, in about 20 minutes a day. And uh, you're like, well, I'm not a reader. I don't like to read. Well, we got that covered too. Because on that website, we've actually got a partnership with an audio app called Dwell. Dwell is probably the best audio Bible app that's out there. It's got a bunch of features. I'm still looking for the feature that'll have Morgan Freeman read the Bible to me. But short of that, it has got all these different options for you, translations, voices, all of that stuff. And you can either go on the app store yourself and pay for it, or you can go to billmorechurch.com Bible, click on that, and you can download it on your phone for free. So if your commute is to Marion or commute is to Franklin or wherever it is, uh, hey, that is, uh, that is, that is uh, awesome there. What else? Um, there are articles there if you want to do a deep dive. Where would we get our Bible? What about violence in the Bible? What about justice? What about the way it's structured? All of that is on there and will be added to as the year goes on. All right, a couple more. I, kind of, I feel, like, uh, feel like the salesman on those infomercials. But wait, there's more. All right, But wait, there's more. Um, but there actually is more. So you've got, you've got all those things you can do. And some of you are like, well, I'm not even a Christ follower yet. And I would say this, this book right here is the best-selling book of all time every year, every year, every year. It is smuggled into countries. Sometimes they'll tear out a page just to be able to smuggle it into a country that it's banned at great risk of that person. So my question is, man, join us on the journey and see what all the hype's about. I mean, what do you have to lose? Just read it, go along with us, and, uh, and, and God will speak to you. If you're a Christ follower, before we jump into text, two huge reasons why you need to be a part of this journey. Two big reasons. Number one is, is the fact that Jesus was all about the Bible. you got to understand that Jesus was all about the Bible. He was. He taught it. He uh, quoted it. He went to it when he was in pain. He went to it when he was tempted. He argued about how to best interpret it. He quoted from it. He memorized it. He prayed it. Ten percent of what you see Jesus speaking was, were actually quotations from the Old Testament, his Bible. As a matter of fact, if you want to get real specific, throughout the ministry, he refers to a historical Adam and Eve, to Noah, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, Elijah and Elisha, Naaman, Zechariah, Jonah, a bunch more. never questions a single event, single miracle, or a single historical claim. In other words, Jesus didn't just teach the Bible, he actually believed the Bible. So if you're a Christ follower, our goal is we want the same relationship with the Bible that Jesus had. Second is nothing, there's other things that God uses to grow us. Nothing grows you as surely and as steadily as a relationship with the book that God gave us. God wrote a book, Jesus said it this way, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which ironically is a quote from the fifth book of the Bible. So him telling us how important that is is actually a quote that he's using to demonstrate how important that is. Now, one last thing before we jump in. Please hear me on this, because it'll hit you at different times. I'm not saying it's always super clean. When you get into the Bible, it can be messy. You can have a lot of questions. You can say, I don't understand that. You might even go for three days, and by Thursday, you're like, man, I blew it. I blew it. I mean, the year's ruined. And here's the picture I want you to keep in mind, all right? So (laughs) this picture right here is Elsie Grace, all right? Elsie Grace is learning how to eat, all right? She's not all of that successful right now, all right? It's messy. She hits her ear half the time. She'll put it in her hair. She'll throw it everywhere. But bottom line is, she is going to get the food in her mouth. And she is going to grow as a little girl. And if she didn't get the food in her mouth, she would not grow. Your walk, your relationship with God as you go through this book, there are going to be times when it's messy, There's going to be times where you're like, oh, that that wasn't that much fun. My guarantee is this. If you will get on this journey, you will be a stronger believer at the end of 2021 than you are right now. That's a guarantee. So you're like, well, I got to see that in the book. All right, well, let me show you. I'm going to go through a text, Psalm 19. And all it says is it describes, it has a bunch of descriptors that are synonyms of the Bible. Things like law, rules, commandments. And then what it does is it takes one of those and gives you a little bit of different idea about it, but then what it does is it does a corresponding benefit. In other words, why should I do this? Why should I jump on this train right now? All right, so let me read the text, and uh, then we'll jump, uh, we'll jump into some principles. And I'll show you the principle, or I'll show you the pattern here. The law of the Lord is perfect. Law of the Lord is one of those many, many, I think there's six in here, six synonyms of talking about the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, and what's the the benefit? What's the advantage? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What's the benefit? Making wise the simple. The precepts, same thing, another descriptor. The precepts of the Lord are right. What will it do? Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be... And this is David. This is King David. Now, David is not a bored man. David is not a guy that wakes up thinking, I have nothing to do. David is a guy that had money issues. He had to train an army. He had family issues. And he's, here's what he says. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. This is tastier than the best desserts you could possibly have. And he says, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Let me give you one more verse, and we're going to walk through some principles. You see from verse 11 to the end of the chapter, it changes from being about God and about God's word, and it goes from being about God to to God. And there's a point there. He says, this is about God, but then he starts talking to God, and it's summarized in verse 14 when he says this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, not in God's sight, but in your sight. He's saying, God, I'm talking to you now. O Lord, not the rock and the redeemer, my rock and my redeemer, my foundation, my savior, my rescuer, that's who I'm talking to. So let's kind of walk through this deal, and let me give you the first one. There's going to be four. Jot these down. Number one, benefit of the Bible. It restores my soul. It just, it restores my soul. The word reviving there means this. Here are all the definitions. Giving renewed vitality, giving fresh life, being refreshed, bring bought back to its original condition, or something that has fallen and being put back up. If you think of the Psalm 23, the shepherd psalm, He's like he leads me beside, he leads me in the green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters, and then the same idea, and he restores my he restores my soul. What is he? He restores my, my soul. The Hebrew word is nephesh, which means it's who you really are. It's not what you do, it's who you are, at your core, at your it's your core, it's your being. It's your soul, it's that inner part of you that relates to God. And so here's the point: God's word doesn't just deal with what we do, but who we are. It goes from the, it goes from the inside. Out and what he says is, your soul will be refreshed as you feed on this book. Otherwise, your soul will shrivel up and lose life. I cannot think of anything more helpful, more needed right now for the church than to be restored in our soul. I've there's been more crazy. In 2020, not just out there, but in the church, than I've ever seen before. Just restore things brought back, vitality imbued back into your soul. Now, we get spoiled here in Western North Carolina because we get a ton of rain, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the foliage around here is so lush. I remember when we moved here from Texas, I'm like, it looks like you could walk on top of sort of the rhododendron. And especially if you get up there like Banner Elk and some of those areas, you're like, this is crazy. It's how lush it is. If you don't ever get out of Western North Carolina, believe me, not every place looks like this. And I've spent a ton of time in Texas, especially North Texas and West Texas, which looks something like... The biblical word is probably Sheol, all right? It looks something like Sheol. There's very little rain, and when there is rain, it is so important. You get down to the coast, like Houston, where we live for a long time, and you have a lot more, but still, it's so hot. If you don't take care of your plants and your grass, they will brown out in a matter of days. Now, nobody that I know of up here, maybe a couple of you all, but very few of us here have a sprinkler system. If you don't have a sprinkler system, or the poor man's sprinkler system, which means you haul your sprinkler out there in Texas, your yard will die. It will die. You might get rain, but you'll get like eight inches in one day, and then you won't get any more for two months. Your your lawn will die. One winter, because the grass goes dormant, one winter in Houston, I turned our sprinkler system off. It's in the garage. I just turned it off. I'm like, I don't need that for a month. The grass is dormant anyway but that as the hot temperature came and everybody else's yard was greening up, I looked at mine, and I'm kind of a yard freak, to be honest, I like my yard, at least my front yard, to look good, all right? And my yard looked terrible, and everybody else is looking good, and my yard is so brown, I'm like, these sprinklers are busted, I was about to call my buddy and go, come fix this trash you installed in my yard, only to go out to the garage and look at the deal, and I had turned it off and never turned it back on. As soon as I turned it back on in a matter of days, my grass was growing, the color was changing, the same thing will happen to you. You're like, I've got no joy. I've got no vitality. My marriage is in the toilet. We've got no communication. I feel very distant from the Lord. Loved one, please hear me. God restores your soul in a bunch of different ways. He restores it by community. That's why 20 has been so tough, because of COVID and the challenge of even being around other people. That's one way he restores it. He restores it with worship, absolutely. But the surest way he does that is through the word. Through the word, just getting in there. Your soul's fallen. I don't feel like I usually feel. I've got shame. I've got purposelessness. Then get in this book and you will hear and you will feel restoration begin. And so uh, let me give you one verse though before as we jump off in this journey. I'll say it at the end. The goal, this book is not the goal. The book is not the goal. The book is a bridge to a better place. The book is not the goal. As a matter of fact, some of the most obnoxious, angry people are people who know the Bible real well. So please hear me. The Bible is not the goal. The Bible is a bridge. As a matter of fact, we are warned about people who know the Bible and don't let it actually get into who they are numerous times in the New Testament. But here's one that you can write down and we'll come to a bunch of times throughout the journey. He says, you search the scriptures, and he's talking to very serious religious people. All right, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, they're like, man, the rules, the, all this stuff, this is where it's at, and his point is this, but it is they, the scriptures, they bear witness about me. If you and I look in here and we don't understand and we don't see that it points to Jesus and the gospel, then we miss it. In other words, this book is primarily a story of God's deeds, not our deeds. The Jesus Storybook Bible puts it this way, the Bible is not mainly about what you should be doing, it's about God and what he has done. In other words, it's not, a, it's not just a bunch of rules and advice, it's actually a story about someone who came to rescue us because we didn't follow the rules and we didn't take the advice. And then he lived the life we were supposed to live, died in our place, and when we understand that, that story is so big and so captivating and so exhilarating. When we, get, when we get captivated by that story, it then changes us inside out. Some of you are like, I just want you to do those how-to sermons. I like the how-to sermons. Listen, how-to sermons are awesome, and there's a lot of how-to and a lot of instruction. But me telling you five ways to be a better husband, while that is awesome and that can be, as long as it's grounded in the gospel, five ways to be a better husband is awesome. awesome. But if you don't get the fact that Jesus took 5,000 steps to pursue you and then down the cross for you, then all that's going to be is a Band-Aid instead of actually solving that. Because, you know, what's the problem with our marriages primarily? It's selfishness, it's self-centeredness. And when I understand what Jesus did, it actually takes an ax to the root of the tree of the core issue to begin with in my marriage. So, as a matter of fact, so psychologists say the biggest needs we have are to be clean, safe, and significant. Clean, safe, and significant. The gospel speaks to every one of those. To be clean, it's the idea to be forgiven, that all my junk, all my mess is actually clean. All right, is that not what the Bible says if you're in Christ? There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It says to be safe. It's the idea that something can't happen to change that first one. Well, the Bible has a word called justification. It means an act where the holy God of the universe justified you because you embraced Christ by faith, that Jesus actually has your resume. He took it on himself and gave you his resume. And then significant. I mean, what more significance could you have? What more purpose could you have than that the God of the universe has placed his hand on you and says, come be a part of making my name great. I mean, what are you going to get, a watch at the... At your retirement party, what are you gonna get? You're gonna get some write up in a magazine that's gonna be more significant than that? Never. And so, what's he wanna do? Ultimately, here's what he is. Ultimately, the fire of what we do, whether it be marriage, money, whatever, the fire of the Christian life comes from being soaked in the fuel of the story of what has been done for you. So, the fire of what we do is soaked in the kerosene of what has been done for us. And if that's the case, our soul gets restored, but don't make the mistake. We do have this. It does teach me wisdom. Look what it says. It says the testimony of the Lord is sure, and it makes wise the simple. Testimony just means truth, what God has shown about himself. Sure just means always up to date. There's no expiration date like some milk in the refrigerator. Wise is the ability to make choices under God. It's biblical common sense. It means where it's not clearly spelled out, I know how to pick this thing knowing that, you know what, there's some guidelines here. I can make a good choice with the best results. That's wisdom. And then the last word in that little phrase is simple. It makes makes, makes wise this simple. Now listen to me. Simple is not about intellect. When you see in the Bible, like especially in Proverbs, about the simpleton it's not talking about somebody with a low SAT score or a low IQ. That's not what he's saying. What he's actually talking about is somebody who literally is open-minded that the front door is open and the back door is open. They have no foundation, they have no grid, they have no wisdom, they have no ability to make discerning choices. Now, this is church, let's be honest. Okay, okay raise your hand if just let's just be. Raise your hand if you've ever made a dumb decision. Just put your hand up. Okay, yeah, we are all right. We've all made dumb decisions, and we hope, we hope we can ever, we can, we hope we can somewhat maybe forget about those decisions. We hope, and a lot of them, we hope that nobody ever finds out about those decisions. Uh, some of those decisions embarrass us. And some of those decisions scar us. But what that is, is you know what, it, you're like, reading the Bible's hard. This is hard. This is asking a lot. I mean, this is asking a I'm not saying it's easy. What I'm saying is, you think that's hard? What is really hard is making really bad decisions that haunt us for decades. Decisions about our marriages and about our kids and about our money, that's hard. And it's saying that Bible intake can save us from a lot of heartache, a lot of wrecks, a lot of scars. Okay, easy example. Before COVID, a lot of times on Friday, I'd be coming up from the upstate in South Carolina, up 25, 26, depending on where I was. So I'm coming up 26. And as i told you, I live in Mills River, so a lot of times what happens is that GPS, and I got, it's like an Australian accent, so it just makes it easier. And so the Australian accent GPS would oftentimes tell me, hey, you need to get off at this exit. Why? Because 26, somebody had a flat tire, somebody from Florida pulled over to look at a concrete barrier, whatever it is, something had happened, and so it backed up. Now, normally I know which exit I get off on. I get off on that little Fletcher exit and then kind of weave my way back around there but oftentimes it would say, no, get off here, get off here, weave your way through Hendersonville. 95% of the time, I would take her advice, all right? 5% of the time, I'm like, man, there ain't no way, I'm looking up there, I I don't see the red yet, I don't see, I was like, it'll be done by the time that I'm up there. Every single time I go against that, every time. I think I'm gonna beat the odds this time. I'm gonna beat the odds this time. Every time, every time that I try to beat the odds with a GPS, I'm wrong. It costs me time. It costs me fuel. It, co- it, it, co- it costs me when I do that. The reason that God says, like in verse 10 and 11, it says, he will warn his servant. A warning is not, hey, don't do that. I'm a cosmic killjoy. A warning is don't go down that road. That road will cost you if you go down that road. And so when you look at it, The importance is not just to look at what's behind you. In some ways, we we can repent of that. We can repent of that. But you can't change what happened in your past. Everybody who raised their hand and made a dumb decision, whatever that was that came in, you can't change that. Again, you can repent. You can restore if you took something from somebody. But you can't change it. We have a Spanish campus, and and the Spanish pastor comes in uh, as we kind of go over this, usually like on a Thursday, and sometimes I'll use a euphemism that doesn't translate into Spanish. And the one that I used, the one that I used is, man, there's no use crying over spilled milk. He's like, what, no use crying? But what you, you know what it means. It means, listen, the milk got spilled, there's no use crying, it's already done. What's done is done. And so what I'm telling you is you can repent and you can restore and you can even regret, but you've got a bunch of decisions you gotta make in the future every day. Where are you going to go to school? All right. Who are you going to marry? How do, I, how do you stay married? How are you going to parent? What are you going to do with your money? All of that stuff, that is called wisdom. All right, let me give you a third one. It rejoices my heart. Going to verse 8, it says this. His precepts are right. His precepts are right, and they rejoice the heart. Now, I almost didn't use that phrase because here's what you think when I say it rejoices your heart. You think that every time you open this book, there's gonna be some little nugget of truth that's gonna be telling you exactly what you need for your meeting at 11 o'clock. It's not what it is all the time. It's It's not primarily, there's a bunch of here's instruction to do stuff, but it's usually a big story, and a lot of times it will offend you. Listen to me very carefully here. The Bible will offend you. If the Bible never offends you, you're doing it wrong, just so you know. The Bible will offend you. It has offended generations and cultures throughout time. The Bible will offend you. It will contradict you at time. It will say, again, you're not treating your spouse right. You're not raising your kids right. You're not using your time right. You're not using, it will tell you things that will offend you. Every generation has that. We tend to think here in the West, particularly in the United States, we tend to think ours is like the first generation to be offended by parts of this book. And you got to just, for example, read the story of the woman caught in adultery, famous one, woman caught in adultery, Jesus forgives the woman. I man, what's our society get upset about? Our society is offended that Jesus taught that sex is only within marriage between a man and a woman. We're like, how archaic is that? How offensive is that? You go to some other countries and read that same passage, they are not upset about that at all. They're upset about the fact that Jesus would forgive somebody who broke that law and says, you know what, unless we publicly condemn her, the whole society's gonna to go to hell in a handbasket. My point is this, the Bible will offend you. And when God shows you the error of your ways, whether it be inaction, action, attitudes, whatever, you and I have one of two choices. And if you're a Christ follower, you really only have one choice. We tend to make one, two. When God shows you this is inconsistent with being a follower of Jesus, you have one of two choices. Number one, you can say, I'm right, God's wrong, and I'm not changing. And I would say those Christians, and a Christian can act like that, those Christians are the least joyful people you will ever see. Or if you're a Christ follower, you can say, you know what, I'm wrong, God's right, and by God's grace and by his power, I will, I will change. So let's, just take, let's take this as an example, a hypothetical situation. Let's say, uh, let's say you just get crazy on social media and you go on somebody's account and you say crazy comments in the comment section, hypothetically speaking. I mean, you just get on there and you rail on somebody whom you do not know and you do not know the subject matter about. And you just rail on him over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, let's say you're reading the book of Ephesians or you're reading the book of James and it talks about, listen, or the book of Proverbs about the wise man holds his tongue and doesn't just simply spout out everything. And God convicts you of that. You've got a choice. You can either say, you know what? That was wrong. I will change. I will put some guardrails. I will restore where I need to. Or you can say, I'm not going to do it. Please hear me on this. The danger in churches that take the Bible seriously, like ours, we take the Bible real seriously. I mean, the 52 weeks we're going to spend in this book, we spend 52 weeks every year in this book. All The difference is this is like a journey from cover to cover. But the danger, the danger in churches like ours is not that we do not know enough. It's just that we don't do what we already know. And what happens is when he says do that, it can be something simple. I mean, I'll, give you, I'll give you a class example. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even go there. Some of you all have actually, you know Jesus, you love Jesus, you've heard four messages, you've seen tons of scripture on just following up and being baptized. And for whatever reason, like I'm going to push that away, push that away. And you pushed it away the first time super easy. The second, or excuse me, super hard. It's like, oh, I was holding this, I was holding the chair. I didn't want to go up there. I saw all those people baptized, spontaneous baptism, and I didn't do it. The next time you heard about it or read about it, it was a little bit a little bit easier, and then the next time a little bit easier, and the next time a little bit easier, and the next time a little bit easier. What's happening there is what the Bible describes as a hardening of the heart. I mean, you can, some of you got calluses on your hand, and that's calluses on your hand are great when it signifies hard work. Calluses on your heart are so dangerous because it signifies a hard heart, a calloused heart. It's like God tells him to do this, I say no and I grieve him, And then it's a little bit harder to hear his voice the next time and the next time and the next time. If you could hear one thing, because some of you are like, I don't know where that joy is. And we look for it in every different place. We've talked about the cul-de-sac of stupidity or the cul-de-sac of normality. Either one, we go around and around and around. It's not that we're thinking that the next lap around the cul-de-sac is gonna be different. I'm gonna go from this boyfriend to that boyfriend. And every time you're like, oh, after a while, it kind of leaves you empty. Because you're not created to find our ultimate joy in people or toys or other stuff. God is not against our joy. God is for his glory and for his people's joy. And you're like, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. It's almost like you're standing by a water fountain, like, I'm so thirsty, give me some water. And God's like, you're sitting by a water fountain, bro. It's like right here, right there. So um, you're like, I don't think God's for me. I don't think he's, first of all, you don't die for somebody that you're not for, but he's also for your joy. One of the first verses I memorized is a brand new believer. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. It's the idea of taking a pop can, shaking it, spewing. Verse uh, Psalm 51, David, after he had sinned, but after God convicted him, and then he repents, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy. In other words, I used to have it, I lost it, and I want it back again. Like, well, I I mean, I just don't know what to do. I feel so condemned. Well, the gospel says God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. A couple of chapters earlier, here's what here's what the psalmist said. It says, "In Your presence is fullness of joy. God is not against Your joy. God is for Your joy. He's for His glory and for Your joy." And you're like, "How's that going to happen?" Here's the last one, and this is super important, but it. When you read the Bible, it personalizes your walk with God. It personalizes your walk. I said earlier, from verse 11 on, it goes from about God to to God. It goes from information to, you know what, uh, you know. Um, I guess you could say transformation. It'd be, God is doing something in him, not the rock, not the redeemer, my rock, my, my redeemer, my foundation, my rescuer, my hero. Let me say it again. As we go through this journey, Some of you, and some of you are like type A people like me and eight on the Enneagram and all that good stuff. And you're like, it is, if you're not careful, our biggest joy, and I say it to my, my say, my biggest, I'm a, okay. Raise your hand if you're a list person. Okay. Come on now. List people. We call those driven. Okay. I'm just kidding. All right. List people. List people. Now you do it on, I do it on my phone now, but list is, I get great joy. I used to mark it off of a yellow sticky pad. And now I have it on my notes section on my phone, but I get great joy of putting that little, I use the green check box, all right? The little green check. I cannot tell you, A, how much it bugs me if a couple of those things are left unchecked. And what joy and satisfaction it gives me by checking off those to-dos. Please hear me on this. Put it in your frame, put it in there. It might be two weeks before you understand it. The goal is not to complete a reading plan. The goal is not to say, I read the Bible all the way through in 2021. That is super awesome. But the Bible and the reading plan and the year of the Bible is not the goal. It is a bridge to a better place, which is that constant relationship, everyday relationship with the Savior who loves you. That's it. And if not, you're going to get super legalistic about it. I'll give you one thing. I mean, let me ask you this. Do you actually think... uh, God's up in heaven, happy when you and I go, man, stinking text came through, gonna have to read the Bible or I'm gonna feel guilty about it. I mean, you see up in heaven like, man, I'm digging that. I'll give you an example. Lori and I, our date day is Saturday. Now, two things about that. Our date day is Saturday from like sunup to sundown. That's our date day, all right? We could be in Brevard. We could be in Franklin. We could be wherever, all right? That's date day. Every once in a while, something might come up on a Saturday where I can't do that date. You know, your funeral or something like that. I can't do it. Now listen, Lori doesn't go, I hate you for breaking our date. I hate you. No, she understands. But, and by the way, but if I blow it off for like three weeks in a row, unless three of you all have a funeral in a row, then it's gonna get a little dicey around the house. The point is this. We prioritize it. We protect it. But the goal is not to check off the box that said date with spouse. It's there to make sure the relationship is vibrant and growing and we're communicating and we're not just living. It's that is what it's for. When you and I get in the book, you got to understand that's what it's for. How do I have that relationship? How do I not be disconnected? It's going to be right here. All we're doing is putting the structure there. So here's, here's you're like, what's, what's, what are you trying to ask me to do? Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to text the word "Bible" to 28282. If so many people do it, it's not going through. You know, uh, there's a word in the Bible called perseverance. Just keep trying, all right? Or they just go to BuildMoreChurch.com/Bible, and what you'll see is you will see a ton of resources, reading plans. Parents, I cannot emphasize that if you're a parent, I cannot emphasize. And dads, let me talk to you specifically because sometimes here's what I know about men. If men do not have a tool in their hands that they feel confident to some degree in using, a lot of times ladies will persevere through and they'll just figure it out. But if men, particularly with spiritual things, if we don't have something that's put there where we can understand it, especially if we didn't grow up with some dad that was showing us how to do this, it's not that we will try and fail, it's we won't try at all. And so I promise you, the Jesus Storybook Bible, get that thing. Just take Scooter, even if they're teenagers, they'll probably like it, at least use the reading plan. If you've got college students, here's what I know, I get more questions about creation in Genesis one from college students than almost any other question which would be next week. So that's not some arbitrary thing way out there, it's actually right here. So get a plan, ta-da, and get a partner. Get somebody you're gonna go through this with, all right? Get somebody, somebody you're gonna go through it with. I mean, if it's your spouse, bueno. Very good. Okay. If it's a friend, you know, good too. If it's a girlfriend, boyfriend, (laughs) you know, it's good until you break up. But here's, here's my point. My point is this. A lot of stuff is going to call for your attention in 2021. The old Covey analogy about put the big rock in first. I mean, everybody's seen that one. Put the big rock in first. The biggest rock you can put into your life is like, you know what? I'm going to be about God's word. Jesus is all about God's word. He said, you're going to grow when you feast on this word. It might not be easy at the start. It might take a little bit of discipline, just like getting back to the gym was. You're like, man, those first few days, I was like sore. We well, hadn't been to the gym in six months, bro. You're going to be sore. It might take you a little bit of time. That's what, that's what some partners there for to say, Hey, you can do it. How was it? What did you, what you think about with, with Genesis, uh, 21? So, um, the year of the Bible is the Bible is ultimately uh, the big rock. So here's what I'm going to do is um, in a second, I'm going to pray for Arden and campus pastors. I'm going to throw it to you. And I wa- what I want you to do is God has given you some stewardship over some people and they have a journey ahead of them just like you do. And I'm going to give you a second and I want you to pray for them and then you can go through the housekeeping stuff. But I want you to pray for that, whether it's Franklin or Hendersonville, East or West Brevard, you, you pray for them. Okay? All right, Arden, let me pray for you. by your head. So me pray for us all. Father, we want to pray right now. Uh, there's gonna be ups and downs this year. It's gonna be ups and downs. God, thank you for Isaiah 40 that just talks about, you know, so much stuff is just gonna pass away, but the word of God is gonna live forever. God, thank you for the living word of God. Thank you for Jesus. I pray those that don't know him here today that this will be the day that they say at. They hopefully will say, man, I want Christ as my Savior. And right where they're sitting, they'll say, Jesus, save me. I pray if they're not ready yet, they also say, hey, I'm going to jump on this thing. I want to read about you. If you're real, would you show yourself to me in your word? God, there's a lot of believers as well. A lot of believers that, we, that we, our soul needs restoration. It's tired. It's fragmented. It's downcast. And our prayers are that you would get into the people of Biltmore Church and you would disciple us as we kind of come out of this crazy season to some degree in the life of our country, the life of our community. You would equip us to minister and to love you and to love our neighbors better than we ever have before. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.